Virgin birth is what we uh, title it, and we're going to be using some of those passages that we just uh, read in uh, the worship that we did earlier. This is uh, quite unusual when you really think about it, really dwell on it, a virgin birth. I mean, how does that ever make any sense? But... uh, what a change that made to the world, right? Change the whole world. We as uh, citizens and human beings, citizens of the United States of America, are accustomed to normalcy for the most part. We pretty well have things the way that we think that are going to happen the next day. There are surprises that happen in our lives in certain days that we don't expect. Some are more abnormal than than ever and than some, but I think overall we probably don't like abrupt changes. We would kind of like to at least be warned. But when something comes into our world and we're not expecting it, Uh, It is rather shocking sometimes, and we prefer a semblance of normalcy. Would I be right in that? We feel comfortable, uh, we feel natural when we live in the natural world. Uh, It's a matter of nature. Things go the way that they usually should go. We like predictability, we like normalcy. And so what do we do when the world gets invaded with what is not normal, what is like unnatural, or even better, supernatural. And yet it still rocks all of our lives. And so um, what can happen is that our lives become different than ever before. And we know that whenever God invaded this earth, through the person of Christ, the second person of the Trinity, it uh, changed all the world, and actually it was never the same after that. And so as a result, we have the church living on the earth, people who are born again. So there have been occasions where God has invaded into this world that we that we live in, or either in the past or present, or He will in the future. It's a seemingly normal world, isn't it? Uh, when you say virgin birth, you have to think of a normal birth, a natural birth. That's the way that it happens. Ninety-nine point nine 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 nine, and on and on and on. Uh, it's it's an amazing thing. It, it's very natural. It's very normal to have. Uh, birth of children. Matter of fact, there are 385,000 babies born every day. Every day, that many. Or somewhere in there, uh, that statistic is close to. It happens often, it happens every day. And when a baby is born, how many times have we said or heard it said that what a miracle this is? And it is a miracle because God gave life. And that comes from God, so in that sense it's supernatural. But there's another sense 
in the reality of what miracle is, it's, it's not the normal. It's not something that happens every day. It's something totally different. A supernatural event is something where God comes in and changes things, does things miraculously where the, the nature, the very normalcy, is not going to be a part of that. He is when He comes in. Now we know that uh, it takes the seed of a man um, and inseminated into a woman to, where there would be conception. And we know that that happens all the time, every time. Every time. It cannot happen anything any way differently. Now, there is something that seems kind of abnormal or different whenever you think of artificial insemination, but it's still the same thing as far as the man's seed. Into the woman there is a conception that happens, so... Uh, what there is seemingly unnatural really is not supernatural. It's just a little different, but really uh, that's the way it is. And usually it's because someone, a lady cannot get pregnant. So uh, that's what happens. That's not necessarily a normal way. But the supernatural event that happened was done one time in history, never to happen again, never happened before, it's only one time. That doesn't make it normal. It does make it a miracle. It's a miracle birth. It truly happened because God made it happen that would not be accepted by the scientific world because you cannot test that. It happened once. Uh, biblically, historically, we have the truth on it that it did happen though. So science says that uh, usually they can't really test miracles. So it doesn't fit into the scientific realm, but it definitely fits into the supernatural realm only God could do. It was truly a miracle. Uh, if Could Jesus have come any other way? Was there any other options that He could have taken? No. Because if he would have come here when he was 30 years old, let's say, fully mature, fully grown, uh, he would just be God that is taking on a momentary body for a while. He doesn't really live the life of humanity. He doesn't feel the whole emotional aspect. He doesn't grow up and mature like we do. He is not taking on the nature of man. He's just coming the way that He had done in the Old Testament, which is called pre-incarnate appearances, burning bush or as an angel. He would take a form like that, but that's not really the incarnation and it's definitely not the virgin birth that He had already predicted. He could not have been that way. Well, how about, why not just be born from Joseph's seed and pass it on to Mary and call it good? And it can't be because there uh, we, we have a, a man, but he's inheriting what? He's inheriting the nature of man, uh, which is sin. Now, Jesus, we know, is man fully human in that he came at the perfect time to be born of a woman just like all of us are, so he identifies with human beings. 
but He's yet God. So we have one person, two natures. The nature of God, He never quit being God, and the nature of man which is what he takes on and he goes through it all of his life. He's born like anybody else. He feels everything that we do. So therefore, he can make intercession for us and he can die for us and take on our sins even though he was sinless. And that's the only way that he could have come. That's why the virgin birth is so key. And if one does not believe in the virgin birth, I'm going to be so bold as all the other believers and all the other writers, people before us, Christians, said you had to believe in the virgin birth. And there is, uh, of course, that is a fundamental belief of Christianity. The, I guess you could say in the church today, there's a lot of liberals that make up a big percentage of what the church, so-called church is. They do not believe in the virgin birth. There's a lot of skeptics that actually are pastors, seminary professors and such all over the United States who do not believe in that. And if you ever hear of anybody talking about that, just run. Get away. It is wrong. It's evil. Get out. And that's come throughout all of church history. The church has always had to defend the virgin birth. It's a key principle Otherwise, we don't see the two natures of Christ in that one person. Very key. Uh, so Jesus came the only way that He possibly could to be a Savior for us. That's why when we celebrate Christmas, we do what we do. We know that it is to be born of a woman. It was found as early as Genesis 3, after the fall of man. God gives the prophecy to Adam and Eve, and then He says that there will be a seed that comes from the woman. The woman's seed, not the man's seed. Scientifically, that doesn't make any sense. Scripturally, it does. It makes it all sense, doesn't it? And it's very, very key. Well, that was in Genesis 3, 14 and 15. It says in Isaiah 7, 14, which we read earlier today, and it's really the key verse in our text today, Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call His name Emmanuel. Now go to Isaiah 9.6. So it sounds like a human birth, doesn't it? And it well is, but it's more than that. 9.6 of Isaiah says this, for a child will be born to us. So, the second person of the Trinity is going to be born. He's going to be a baby, an infant when he's born like everybody else. A son will be given to us. Not a daughter, but a son, right? And the government, look at this, will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. In this we get humanity. In this we get deity. 
the Son. He's going to be a child born to us, but also He's going to have a government. He's called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, uh, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Those are all King, Deity, Lord passages. Right there is the humanity, the deity of this one who is going to be born and his name is Emmanuel. A child that's going to be born from a virgin. And of course that will be our text that we deal with. What a great text. So there's part one, natural versus supernatural. Uh, we have been invaded. And I'm so glad it changed us forever. Now, at first, that is not comforting to people, though. They don't like that message because He came to die for our sins. Now, second one here uh, of this point is Israel's troubled times. What we're going to do is get a little bit into that context of Isaiah. Everybody's heard that when we've read it a million times. Therefore, Lord Himself will give you a sign. That's a key word. Behold, a virgin, a key word, will be with child and bear a son and she will call His name Emmanuel. We saw Emmanuel in one or two of our songs today, didn't we, in our readings. God with us. What a prophecy. This thing is loaded. What's going on here? Well, in chapter 7 through 10, and we're in chapter 7 right here when we read this. Um, repeatedly we get the birth of a child. Matter of fact, there's the concept of a child throughout. You get uh, children involved here. It's kind of interesting. So I want you to understand this, how pivotal of a time it was in Israel's history. Probably they had a lot of pivotal times, but this is one of the most pivotal ever. It's whenever it's the downfall of the nations. The northern tribes have been northern for quite some time, a couple hundred years now, and uh, you have the southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin. Okay, now you have a king, Ahaz. He is the king of Egypt, and that would be the ones who tried to stay true to the Lord. I will tell you right now, King Ahaz did not stay true to the Lord at all. That's the problem here as this prophecy is given. Now this is about 735 to 715 B.C. Does that give you a kind of an idea when this happened? This is when the prophecy is given, but what's going on in the world of Israel at that time? King Ahaz of Judah versus the ten northern tribes who are threatening war against Judah against King Ahaz. A very fearful time, and Ahaz is scared. He is shivering. He's trembling because Israel, the other ten tribes, which, why are they getting after their own people? Well, they've been split for a long time. Israel is Israel, though. But also, they are combining with Syria, a neighboring nation up north, and they are going to invade the Judah and Benjamin. I'll just say uh, King Ahaz. They're going to come down and try to make them join an, in an alliance with those two nations. Because why? Because there was a great 
country just exploding all over the Middle East and everywhere, conquering little countries one after another. It's called Assyria. Did you get that? Assyria. There is Syria, but Assyria is that empire that's really kind of trying to be built. So they just pluck nations out of nowhere. And so you have Israel really on the brink of being devouring because what, what's happening is Assyria is going to come and, and take Syria, take Israel, take all of Israel. That's what they want. Eventually they'll take Judah. Uh, no military might could stop them. They couldn't withstand these conquerors. So it's a hopeless time when this happens. Uh, you have this waging of war and these alliances being made, God raises up a person, which He does in times like these that are troubled. He raises up a prophet by the name of Isaiah. Who's the first prophet who has a book in the Bible? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Isaiah is right at the top. I will tell you that Isaiah is the most messianic pro uh, prophetic book in all of the Bible about the Messiah. Messianic means about the Messiah. Talking about prophecies in detail about who and what he's going to do. Who he is, what he's going to do, it identifies him. We get a lot of them. When you string them together, you go, oh my, this cannot be mathematically possible for all of these prophecies to come true. It meets exactly who he is when he comes at that time. So Isaiah goes to King Ahaz. He's confronting him. Ahaz wants to join an alliance with Assyria. Not Israel and Syria, but Assyria, the big country, to keep from being invaded. Uh, so uh, there's a confrontation. The king is fearing. And the prophet delivers a message of reassurance. It's going to be okay. Ahaz, you're the king. I'm the prophet. I'm here to tell you, don't worry about it. God's got this, right? Don't worry. He has a lot of fear. He's not going to listen to that. He doesn't listen to God's people. He doesn't hear the voice of the Word. He does what He wants to do. His fear is telling him, I need to side up with Assyria where we won't get blown away. Well, you know what? They will anyway. S sometime in the near future, they will be punished by God and the Babylonians will come. And that's basically from that same area. They will conquer finally Judah. Well, here we go into the sign of the time. So we've got Isaiah's words. They're comforting, right? Number three. A sign of the times. God is so good. He has a rebellious king here in Judah. But he comes to him and tells him, I've got it. Take comfort. And Isaiah is speaking for God, directly from God to the king, and he's saying, don't worry about it. The king should just listen. What a dilemma. And here, comes, here come the uh, nations of Syria and Israel. And matter of fact, it says that, you know, 
they are going to take the king Ahaz off the throne. And what line is he coming from? The throne of David. In Judah is the the throne, the kingship of David. That's the dynasty that is established all the way to the Messiah. Uh, Let's pick it up in Isaiah 7. You have Syria here, and you also have Israel, verse 6. 7-6, let us go up against Judah and terrorize it and make for ourselves a breach in its walls and set up the son of Tabeel as king. That would break the line. God's not going to let that happen, is He? Uh, as in the midst of it, thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand nor shall it come to pass. That's what God says that won't happen. Not happening here. Not on my watch, God says. <laughs> He doesn't even have a watch. He doesn't. He's not bound by time. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Now, within another 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered, so that is no longer a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria, the son of Ramalia. If you will not believe, you shall surely not last. Okay, King, you're, if you don't believe this, you're not going to last. Verse 10, Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Make it deep as Sheol and as high as heaven. Whatever you want, ask for a sign, whatever you want. But Ahaz said, I will not. Nor will I test the Lord. Oh, he's so spiritual. Nor will I test the Lord. That's not the case here. He's saying there's no way that I'm going to believe that. Then he said, listen now, O house of David. What he does there is the prophet saying, okay, I've said it to the king. He's not going to ask for a sign. And he tells all of the house of uh, David, right? Which would be the people of Judah. Is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men? that you will try the patience of my God as well? God is being really merciful and gracious here, and you don't want it. That's what the prophet's telling him. Does that make sense? So far, is this all making sense? Now, verse 14, and here, what we're familiar with. With that context, this verse now should really pop. Therefore, Because of that, because of the disobedience of the king, I'm telling you, house of Judah, here's your hope from from here on out. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, check this out. This is really important. A virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call His name Emmanuel. God with us. Uh, Isaiah came to comfort the king. The comfort didn't want. Ahaz has an ungodly alliance. He does not trust in God. Who does he trust? In man, which is really his enemy. Does that make a lot of sense? That's what wicked people do. They make stupid decisions for the whole people. And the people pay for it. So that's what happened to him. That's what he did. And we know that ultimately, uh, yeah, uh, it happens. Isaiah assured him that God would give a sign. 
He needed confidence to trust in God. If he would say, okay, here's what I want. I want a virgin and a boy to be born from that virgin. Or anything, really. But God's going to give him a sign. He doesn't ask for it. It would have given him great confidence because it would happen. Ahaz refused. I will not tempt the Lord. He protests, really. Ahaz has his way. He doesn't listen to God's Word. He doesn't listen to a man who has God's Word and knows it. He listens to what his own heart says, what his own head is saying, and what the world is saying. So from Isaiah, we get a sharp rebuke here. And he turns to the house of David. Isaiah's prophecy was to remind the king of Judah the fate of the nation did not rest upon him and his armies that oppose him or the alliance of monarchs. It's the destiny of the Jewish people to rest secure in the Lord God of Israel, even if it's not at that time. Ultimately, there will be one who's coming that will save their people from their sins. And this promise that he's always had, no matter what the people do, will continue through eternity. That's how valuable that prophecy is. Even if it's not really applying so much at that time, (coughs) it will give people hope to this Nation, He's not going to destroy them. We already read Isaiah 9-6, didn't we? For unto you a, a child will be born. A son is given. A child will be born, right? That, that thought. Okay, well we go back into verse 14. Behold, a virgin will be with child. This is the word virgin, which in the Hebrew is Alma. And in uh, most of your very fundamental conservative type Bibles, you will have the word virgin. Now, uh, there are some liberal takes on this, and they might use young maiden. Uh, And we'll get into that just for a moment. The identity of the mother of Emmanuel is it given here. What's been a debate over uh, the centuries and centuries and centuries, if you're a Christian, you know of Matthew, which quotes Isaiah 7.14. The Matthew, we get the... Genealogy, and it's really the genealogy of Jesus Christ. We, we know about that, right? Uh, Joseph is given great news, and this came in abruptly to him. He didn't know what to think when he hears the message, and he doesn't know what's going on with Mary, you know, and uh, what have you. He thinks that uh, he is... She has stepped out on him, right? In um, Matthew, 
Verse 19, Now when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child... And, oh, 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 I'm in, I'm in the wrong one. Uh, I, I'm actually uh, in chapter 1 there. I'm in ch- a, a later one that comes. There's another prophecy. Uh, 19, And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly... Uh, he wanted to divorce her in a way that nobody, it really wouldn't bring um, disfavor on her, wouldn't make her look bad, but he didn't want anything to do with her because she uh, stayed true to being a virgin, which is what all the Jewish ladies were to do. I'm sure that that didn't always happen. But that is God's way. That's what He has. He, it's only for marriage, right? So here we have it. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is not of some other man. It's of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. Okay, I can tell you this. It's from the Holy Spirit. The child will be a boy, a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For Jesus is Yeshua, which means Savior, to save. For he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Isaiah. He doesn't say Isaiah 7.14, the prophet, because they heard this before. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. So you have virgin, we have the name, he's a boy. A lot said in that statement, Joseph believes it. How shocking everything has been. His whole world had been changing and boy, at that time did it ever change. He wasn't ready for this, was he? Oh. How wonderful, how wonderful it is. He gets to be all uh, a part of this, doesn't he? So, he is, you know, this is all, it's all kind of strange. What a strange way to save the world, right? That song. And uh, for him going to Bethlehem and, and, and that thought there, it's just, uh, just incredible how this goes down. So there we have the linking of Jesus' conception to the, uh, to the sign that the prophet Isaiah has said, right? Uh, centuries earlier. Those who believe the Gospel account believe in a Messiah and they believe here that it is the virgin. It's not young maiden because how does Matthew take it? He uses the Greek word which is parthenos. Heard of Parthenon? Uh, this is Parthenos, which means virgin, and only virgin. Matthew takes it right out of the Greek translation of the Bible. It's called the Septuagint, where the 70, which were Jews, got together and put it in Greek because Greek was the number one language of the world, and they wanted to get it out for the Jews who didn't speak Hebrew way out in the world, and to, it got out to others, right? So the Septuagint is really the Old Testament in what? Greek. It was translated by Jews as virgin or parthenos. 
uh, that should help a lot. Um, it that word now there are two words for virgin. This word actually is more explicit for virgin than the other one, because it means an unmarried woman who has not had relations yet. That's really the idea. All of the Jews today and most of the Jews really didn't see this as something prophetic all the way up to the time of the Messiah. Uh, They wanted to cover that over. Especially after Christ came, they just shut that down. They shut it down because it's talking about a virgin birth. Really brings problems to them, doesn't it? The New Testament follows suit to this Isaiah 14, Alma. So that's an interpretation really of what older Jewish interpretations were. And so there it is. So um, there are other times, a few other times in the Old Testament where you get the word Alma. It's in the Song of Solomon twice. Uh, it's in the Proverbs once, and it means virgin. It means an unmarried woman of marriable age. She's unmarried, and to the Jews, what did they think of ones who were unmarried? They were virgins. That's how much they tried to keep it pure in their race. Didn't always happen, but that's basically what that means. So really, it can't mean any other thing than virgin. And we get it, right? Now, so that's what the idea is. So a, a child is born. God is going to intervene in the future of Israel. Um, as far as uh, them taking this in Isaiah 7:14, what do they what do they do with this? I mean, is this at the very time of? Uh, Ahaz's reign, it says he will eat curds and honey at the time. He knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. He's going to be one who grows up at least. It's going to take a few years before he can choose right and wrong. So, you know, uh, whatever age that is, it's still kind of young, but it won't be like a baby. It's going to happen in a soon, uh, a pretty quick time though, isn't it? For before the boy will know enough to refuse evil and choose good, the land whose two kings you dread will be forsaken. The two kings, or it's talking about Israel, you know, the ten tribes, and also Syria. And that they will be invaded. And that will be it for them. That's what he's saying. It will be within that time period. And uh, so we get this message. Uh, the message of hope is there, isn't it? Three children are mentioned. Sher, Yeshuv, and Isaiah 7.3, Emmanuel in 7.14, and 8.8.10. And then in chapter 8, verse 1, and 3, and 4, Mahir, Shalal, Hashbaz, which is actually the son of Isaiah. And of course, he's kind of in the court. Uh, Isaiah is. And they still say, well, is this meaning Isaiah's son? Well, in a sense, I guess you could say that, you know, there's a sign involved. But actually, it's pointing way in the future. You see, the king really didn't want a sign. He didn't take it seriously. He never believed it. 
And so there is hope that's given to all the Jewish believers and any believers that the Messiah is coming. With great hope. God isn't done with Israel yet. So, you know, and we expect children to be innocent, vulnerable and such. And so God reveals His strength through a child. The answer just might be that sometimes God chooses to reveal His strength through children. Here, through a child. A child would be born, in a sense, in Ahaz's court. And some argue, well, that's Ahaz's son. Well, actually, whenever he came into being the king, I believe his son was already nine years old. So that doesn't jive at all, does it? And others say it's Isaiah's son. Uh, before he was old enough to choose right or wrong, the Assyrians would lay waste Syria just as, uh, as in Israel it happened. 733 to 732, that happened. And guess what? That just jives up with that scene. So in that sense, that was taken. Um, the prophet has a rebuke for the king, gives message of hope for all who want to see it. There's the hope, but it's much more... Th- and we're talking about the virgin birth. There was not a virgin birth at this time. There's only been one of the Messiah. So you see how the prophecy is given. It is hope for the future. Although was there was the wording there saying by the time he's old enough to choose right and wrong. It's not very long. They were going to be invaded, they were. So there you go. We get the short of it and we get the long prophecy. I'll give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son. He shall call his name Emmanuel. Um, That is called with us is God. God with us. That's the idea. The traditional Jewish teaching on the significance of Emmanuel is kind of seen with us is God. <clears throat> and of course, verse 16, it's an, an extended uh, to the explanation of it, that which we read, about the right and, uh, being able to choose right and wrong. Um, I believe that it's been taken. There was a, a Jewish commentator. Uh, he's a medieval Jewish commentator, David Kimmy. He commented on this passage so that the sign was only to strengthen the conviction of the prophet's message, which is true, but he says he believed that the sign, the child, had to be a contemporary of Ahaz and not a symbol for a future occurrence. Well, as he's looking back in time, if this is talking about future at that time, that means, what do I do with Jesus? who claimed to be God, who is the Messiah to the Christians. So he writes it off and he says, that has nothing to do with the future. It only deals with Ahaz's son, which it couldn't have been. He's already much older than that. Now, what is the meaning of Manuel? We, we see that he it's God with us. What does the Scripture indicate? Ahaz refuses the sign of Emmanuel, turns to the king of Assyria, and what it is, is that he has lost his faith. 
Matter of fact, so does the house of Judah, so eventually they have to be judged by Babylon and they'll be deported to Babylon. The city of Jerusalem is destroyed and the temple is destroyed. That's after the time of the ten tribes are judged. So what's the deal? This is all dealing with a future generation. Keep looking for the Messiah because He will come here as a baby to be born of a woman who was not impregnated by any man. It was supernatural. That's the idea. So this is God's promise to change the course of history. And He does it by this sign. Any Jew should have realized that. And the sign transforms the way God related to humanity in that He is born like us. Now, the identity of Emmanuel, where he talked about the way that Ahaz might have taken it, and Hezekiah, the most prominent person of the period, he's disqualified, we know that, we've said that. Um, and really, ultimately, some say Isaiah. Who is the mother here? Well, the mother in this prophecy is referred to as Alma. We don't get a name of her but she's a young woman of marriageable age. This mother is not the wife of Isaiah or Ahaz because we're talking about a virgin. We're talking about Mary. The basis for the teaching of the virgin birth is the birth accounts of Yeshua in the New Testament, which state that Mary did not have sexual relations with a man. We know that Matthew implied that God's miraculous intervention to the advent of the long-awaited Messiah, we know that. Uh, I mean, this is the ultimate protection of the nation, isn't it? With a long view ahead. Uh, we need to look for a moment in Luke. In Luke 1, verse 26, Now in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph. By the way, that word for virgin is uh, taken right out of the Greek translation. Parthenon, Parthenos, virgin, which really means virgin, what we know of, that's in our English. And by the way, if you have this and people say, well, it can't be that, then the rest of the Word of God is not valid. Anything about Christ, how can we not believe it? If the New Testament is interpreting Mary at, at here as the virgin that is in what Matthew did, about Joseph as he showed him the prophecy. He told him exactly what it was, Isaiah 7.14. If that is to be debated or it's not of really any account, we're all in trouble, folks, because the validity of the New Testament is no good. 
Because it's showing here, the virgin is Mary. It's in Luke. It's in Matthew. Very explicit. And so in verse 28, And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, Well, how can this be, since I am a virgin? I think she had a very good question. And I don't have to say a thing, do I? I mean, that's very obvious. How how can it be? Wouldn't any woman ask that? Well, the angel answered and said to her, what it is, is she's saying, how can this come about? How's this going to happen? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Ghost shall be called the Son of God. The, whole, the, reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. You have the Holy Seed of God actually being put in and housed in her womb. This is the most supernatural thing that can happen, the way that one can be born. And it should cause great wonder when we think about this. Either we're believing one of the greatest lies that's ever been perpetrated on mankind, or we're believing something here of supernatural. And Christians believe in this. They are all sold out to this that sounds so far-fetched because it doesn't meet the scientific credentials. And that's where God exceeds the natural realm. And that's what the virgin birth is about. It's about a supernatural plan that came into being in this world. And so this is what Christmas is, folks. This is the real Christmas. And to some, it sounds like, what a hoax. Is that what you Christians really believe? (laughs) Right? You can see how there can be skeptics. They can't believe that. It's the hand of God. All of this is going to come through Messiah in this sense. Matthew passage, the Luke passage... And this is the visible way, isn't it? And He will be with us always, even unto the end of the age. This is the final meaning. All the followers of Yeshua will see Him as that one that's born of the Virgin. The promise has been said hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. All the different promises about Him. The same God who can do anything, anytime He wants, 
isn't going to be held back by a little virgin birth. Right? People would say that's impossible, it's ridiculous. We are in wonder. That's right, it's a point. He's not only human, but He's Emmanuel. God with us. Did you see, in just in that one verse, Isaiah 7.14, how much was there? The Messiah is Emmanuel, is God with us. He is the one. The great part of the wonder is that He is man and He is God. A Son, God. And that's where we're going to leave off. Nothing is impossible with God. This is the idea, and of course you also get the uh, theology, and it's very closely related to virgin birth, but where you get into the two natures and the one person. The godly nature and (coughs) the man nature. That is really the hypostatic union, and that kind of proceeds out of this virgin birth doctrine. How key it is, this is Christmas. This is the Christmas story. All those movies that are out there, they have, they're called the Christmas story, and you know, they're nice and emotional, but this is the Christmas story, and it is very incredible. And we know that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. And you think of that, you know what the population of Bethlehem would have been at that time? They say on average, I like I got this out of like Bethlehem and then going on up to Jerusalem, maybe let's say seven thousand compared to two billion. Two, yeah, two billion of a chance of that happening. Now take that 2.8 times 105. That's a chance of him and all the, uh, you know, being born in Bethlehem and it be coming true. Of all, you think of all of those Old Testament prophecies and you go on and on where he's going to be born, you know, and how he's going to be born, this virgin birth, and you just go on and on with that, and you go, this is unbelievable. How could it ever happen? It could. I mean, numerically, it's it's impossible. It has to be one and one only. That's what we bank on, and it's all the truth. So anyway, I say Merry Christmas, because this is why we are merry and are very joyful. Uh, there are many prophecies. That's the one we honed in on this morning because that's uh, right to the very heart, the key of the matter. You can go on and on with that Christmas story, can't you? Anyway, let's uh, let's pray. Uh, Father, great God, holy, awesome you are. You come up with a plan and you stick with it completely in every detail. You are incredibly correct. Uh, we are given the identification as we look at it today. We know full well as the child born of Mary in a miraculous way. And we thank you, Lord, for giving us light to be able to believe that. Otherwise, we could have been like King Ahaz and totally rejected what you were giving. A sign was given to him and he rejected the sign. 
And later, he didn't have any hope. At that time, never did have any hope. He relied on the enemy to save him, which never happened. But you do happen. And Lord, we thank you. We know who the Savior is. It's been completely, concisely, clearly told throughout your Scripture. Thank you for the truth. May we go out of here declaring Emmanuel. God is with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Let's go out on them. Note, singing few notes, I guess you could say. Let's all stand and uh, get this guitar going here. What it's going to be is Gloria in Excelsis Deo, Gloria in Excelsis Deo, and then O Come Let Us Adore Him. How about that? We could do that, right?